stories of inspiring professionals while highlighting the universal principles of success. Today, I'm joined on the podcast by attorney Silvia Luna. Silvia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Derek. It's my pleasure. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to our conversation here. I want all, all of our listeners in podcast land to know a little bit about your background. Let me tell you a little bit about Sylvia. Attorney Sylvia Luna owns Luna Legal Firm, which is a Los Angeles-based Latina-owned plaintiff's employment, personal injury, and civil rights law firm. But Sylvia isn't defined by her practice. A believer in paying it forward, Sylvia also sits on the board of the Latina Lawyers Bar Association, a nonprofit organization that provides scholarships to Latina law students and support to Latinas at all stages of their legal career. Similarly, Sylvia served as a deputy for the National Hispanic Bar Association, a nonprofit organization that helps Hispanic law students and alumni advance in their legal careers. During her spare time, Sylvia enjoys hiking, trail running, camping, backpacking, reading, and spending quality time with her kids. Okay, Sylvia, tell me, what inspired you to become an attorney? So my path to becoming an attorney started really young. Um, I was blessed to be raised by a single mom who um, is an immigrant from Mexico and mm -hmm. who went against all that she was taught, which was, you know, women have their place, you obey, um, you know, you wait to speak, you wait until other people are done speaking. Um, and she really created this environment for us growing up where we were treated with respect and we were listened to. And I guess as a kid, I was uh, pretty outspoken and mm -hmm. would jump in on conversations with adults. And I remember at about seven or eight years old, my tia turned to me because I was you know, I was chiming in, I was giving my opinion where it wasn't wanted. <laughs> and she looked at me and she was like, Oh, you're so argumentative, you should be an abogada. Mm. And that was the beginning. That was the beginning, it planted the seed. Wow. And um, in college, just to like fast track in college, I actually did not think that I was going to become an attorney. By that point, mm. I had, I had a change of heart. And I actually um, took the non-traditional route of working after my undergrad years. Mm -hmm. um, I was supposed to be a city planner. And then I kind of had this quarter life crisis, like many, many mm -hmm. others do. And at that point, I did some soul searching and circled back to, I want to be an attorney. I'm going to go to law school. Mm, wow. We certainly want to highlight um, your, the impact your mother has had on you. And of course, your Thea for speaking those words over you as a seven or eight year old that like you said, planting that seed. Of course, we have the benefit of seeing the fruit of that seed cultivated over all of these years. Um, but we certainly want to highlight the women that your, your mother, um, that, uh, the impact your mother had on you. And then even um, your, your, your Thea, your aunt, who, um, who, spoke, who spoke the words Avogadro over you. And to see you live and lean into that vision, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. I'm so grateful for that. And I know that I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for my mom, who at a very early age was a huge believer in education. 
and, and told me you're going to go to college before I even knew what college was. So yes. yeah, thank, thankfully I had her in my life to, to guide me. Mm-hmm. And I love how you also um, highlighted her focus, which was challenging that status quo, that what's typical and what's normal um, for, again, for, for, for Mexican women, for women. Um, it's something my mom and I talk about a lot. Um, she's very similar um, to your mom as far as um, under, see, seeing where what's normal, but not feeling the obligation to stay in what's normal, to, but, but to, to be fine standing out and in, 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 uh, going against the current um, from a cultural perspective. Right, right. And I feel like today with the platforms that we have, um, a lot more women are breaking out of those confinements, right? Yes. And they're speaking about it. Um, but back in our days, to yes. not age myself, <laughs> yes, yes. back in our days when I was growing up, you know, when my mom arrived in the 1980s from Mexico, um, that just didn't exist. Those yes. platforms didn't exist. That support didn't exist. Um, but I think my mom arriving here by herself as a single mother, hmm. um, you know, living against El Quediran, um, going into the first type of work that she could get, which was becoming a welder. Um, She comes from a family of welders and she saw an opening and she said, I'm going for it. And she learned the trade and she was in it for 20 years in a male-dominated industry. Um, And I think seeing that growing up, for me, it was so encouraging and so eye-opening to know that, you know, you can go against the grain, you can speak up, you can go against your culture mm-hmm. um, and you can enter and you can thrive in a male dominated industry. Yes. Yes. Power to you, power to her. I think about people like your mom, my mom as well, that, that, that they had this, they had this emphasis um, about them that um, I, I, I very much think like they, 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 were the, they were pioneers and frontiers and what we're seeing happen today in, in a very um, visual way, we're see, seeing and hearing about it, you know, of course on the social media channels, but uh, and, and on the news and everything that's happening with women, like I feel like, you know, our, our moms were very much living that before, before it was cool, before it was popular. Absolutely. So, so tell me, um, what do you enjoy most about being an attorney? Wow. I think the connections, the connections with people. I love talking to potential clients. Um, I, I mean, oftentimes my potential clients are friends of family, people that are like two degrees away from me, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, it feels so good to be that first person that people think of, right? Because again, going back to the child of immigrants, the first one in my family to go to college, the Mm. only abogada in my family, of course, like who does everybody think of when it's like we have some potential legal issue or a legal issue? It's like, oh, call Sylvia. She might know. And so I think um, I'm very grateful for that. And I'm very honored to have that opportunity to help people in my life to help people who are two three or six degrees of separation from me Mm -hmm. and even if I don't know the answer that's what I always tell people it's like listen I'm an attorney even if I don't know the answer even if it's not my specialty I will do my best to connect you with somebody who can help you because that is part of um, 
you know, this, this, this life as an attorney is that you're connected to hundreds and hundreds of other attorneys. And so for me, I'm like, this is amazing. I get to be that person for my community that can help others find the answer, whether it's, I have the answer or somebody else has the answer. Yes. 100%. When I'm listening to you, um, I'm hearing that you get a chance to be the ambassador for, for law for your, your people, your, your family, for your friends. And, you know, my mom and I've had this conversation that's, uh, specifically about um, Latina lawyers that we didn't see or know of them growing up. Like we just didn't, like, you know, if you, like the idea, you know, when we, when we talk about representation, like we just didn't have a visual of what somebody like that looked like because we didn't have any in our family or in our friends or our friends of friends. Yet for you to be able to be that ambassador, it's such a special thing. And I feel like because you're active in serving in bar associations, you become such a source um, of a referral source to so many other attorneys. And there's some, I imagine there's so much gratitude and, um, and power you're building with among other lawyers as well, because your family, uh, other attorneys have told me, your family will associate everything law related to you, even though you only have a specific, you know, areas of law that you, you know, focus on or specialize in. But, um, but anyway, so it, that's what I'm hearing. No, absolutely, absolutely. So first of all, yes, you are correct. We, even today in 2021, we don't see a lot of Latina lawyers out there. And that's part of the work that I do with Latina Lawyers Bar Association. It's let's get more Latinas in the legal field. How do we get more Latinas to go to law school? How do we get the Latinas to actually graduate law school? Because that's a whole issue in itself. And then how do we get them to succeed once they are licensed and and ready to go? Um, How do we open those doors for them? So absolutely. I mean, like growing up, forget knowing a Latina lawyer. That was like not even in in my mind. It was just knowing a a lawyer, period. I didn't know any. I did not know a lawyer until I started law school. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's, that's sad. That shouldn't happen. It, we should have those connections available to everybody. And so I think it's very important for me to be that if I'm the only lawyer, I don't forget being the only Latina lawyer. If I'm the only lawyer, you know, I want you to meet me and feel welcome to call me. Mm. Feel welcome. Even if, I mean, I have people, family members, friends who will call me for DMV issues thinking it's like a legal issue. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not a legal issue. I wish I could help you, but I'm pretty (laughs) sure they have a customer service number. But to know that people trust me that much, that I'm the person that they call, it's a true privilege. It really Mm. is. Yes, uh, you're the expert. You know, you're, you're, you're the expert. I mean, there's a lot of areas. You're the expert in life, you know, with, with your, your role and your position. Yeah, absolutely. And then, like you said, the, the network of attorneys that I've been able to um, meet through my profession, through my affiliations with the bar associations, again, that just adds to what I can provide for others because now it's like I have this whole Rolodex of folks that I keep it on my phone, by the way, in my notes on my iPhone, Mm -hmm. I have it like family law and I have a list of attorneys and like for, so that when somebody contacts me, it's not like that difficult. I literally just go in there, copy and paste and say, Hey, these are some folks I know who practice family law, call them. Mm, Yes. I I love that. That best practice you listed there, having that note 
available. So it's very quick and easy and uh, seamless to make, to give those referrals out. Uh, awesome. Now t t talk to me about how you decided to focus on employment, employment law, personal injury, and uh, civil rights, uh, civil rights law. Yeah. So originally I was going to go into public interest. Um, again, going back to my upbringing, very, very humble beginnings, um, a lot of challenges growing up financial and otherwise. And so I felt like a, a career in law was going to be a great way to give back to the community. And so I, all of my work, all of my internships during law school were in public interest. And then I graduated and I was like, you know, the only thing I haven't done is litigation. So after you take the bar exam, there's about a three month gap. You're waiting for bar results. And I took a job doing uh, civil litigation and I found it really fun and really challenging. And so um, I decided to go for it, to go into private practice. Um, and the first job that I landed was um, at a high profile plaintiff's firm doing um, Me Too mostly type of stuff. Me Too, um, it was right in, in 2017, 18, when the whole Me Too movement mm -hmm. blew up. And so I was in, in the middle of that and I found it um, really empowering I found it very challenging because employment laws is super fact specific. Mm -hmm. um, and so as I love writing, by the way, that's one of my favorite parts about practicing law. And mm -hmm. so um, writing law in motion with all of these different facts was, um, it, I enjoyed it thoroughly. And so that's how I ended up in employment. And I also ended up taking some of the um, civil rights cases at that firm. I had some cases against LAPD and and so it just kind of like happened very seamlessly. It's like, boom, I made the decision. I want to do civil litigation. And I landed at this job where I was able to practice civil rights, personal injury and employment law. And so then after that, the rest was history. Oh, perfect. Perfect. You know, it, it is interesting um, to hear different stories and versions of how people arrived at a specific area. Um, but to, to hear that you're able to um, create a space where at least from the sound of it, that you're never, you're never um, bored because of the variety of, of law you're able to, to support and advocate for your clients with. Um, it gives you a nice versatility in your, in your, in your, in your law firm. Yeah, definitely. I, you know, everybody, um, you know, people make different choices. Like some people want to want to focus on one practice area. I enjoy all three. So I decided why not? Why not have a nice balance, switch it up? Um, and I enjoy all three equally. Perfect. Now, tell me what, what's been one challenge uh, you faced as an attorney that you've overcome? I would say it's a toss up. I think um, imposter syndrome is one of those things that, mm -hmm. I, you know, I experienced heavily during law school and my first two years of practice and that I still cope with on an ongoing basis, um, but it's becoming easier to cope with. And mm -hmm. the second, which goes somewhat hand in hand with imposter syndrome is hazing in the legal field. Mm. Um, it's not often talked about, but when you have an opposing counsel, you receive some kind of 
um, you know, motion or something and you, people will Google each other, right? It's like, mm -hmm. you want to know who you're up against. So people mm -hmm. will Google, oh, who's this Sylvia Luna girl? Oh, let me look up her bar number on the state bar website. They look you up and by your bar number, they can tell when you started practicing law. Also on the state bar website, it says the year you were admitted, right? Mm -hmm. And so they size you up right away. It's like, oh, how long has she been practicing? Oh, where did she go to law school? Oh, where did she go to undergrad? And so there's already like the sizing up that happens before you even meet the person, right? Mm -hmm. And then you meet them. And so for me, I experienced quite a bit of hazing um, in litigation, especially at depositions. There was a lot of like picking on my questions, telling me that my questions were silly, mm -hmm. that they were unnecessary, that I was being redundant. Um, I even had people tell me like in my 20 years of experience, I've never heard of that kind of question. Um, you know, people mm -hmm. yelling um, but you, through all of that, I grew some even thicker skin because let me tell you, growing up where I grew up, I already had some thick skin, sure. but it's different, right? Because you go into this professional setting where I can't behave in the way that I would react as younger Sylvia in my mm. neighborhood, right? right, I have right. To behave <laughs> differently. I have to respond differently. And I really struggled struggled with finding my voice mm -hmm. and finding a tactful way to advocate for myself in those yes. situations. Mm -hmm. And I remember, um, you know, taking a break during depositions and shaking. I was mm -hmm. so mad. I was shaking and calling my boss or calling my boyfriend at the time or whoever it was to like vent and just get it out of my system. Mm -hmm. um, eventually I found my voice and now I, I haven't had an experience like that in a couple years, but it is something that happens. And I think that as women in the legal field, it happens to us more frequently as mm. Latinas or minorities in the legal field, we're definitely mm. subject to it more. Um, and, and, you know, I want your listeners to know that it happens and that, um, you know, find your voice, find a mentor, find another um, woman or woman of color in the legal field who has more experience that you can call and talk to about that. Um, because I didn't have that and I wish I would have. Mm, yes. Wow. That is, um, that is powerful. And I appreciate that advice to um, other lawyers starting out lawyers, you know, again, um, uh, especially women, especially women of color um, to find somebody else. And, and, and I think I, that idea of finding somebody who can relate, who has been through it, and then not that they've been through it, but, but they could also share the principles that help them to overcome it. And I could, I could hear how those challenges you face, they, they, they touch one another, they, they overlap the imposter syndrome. And then some of that hazing or that opposition that can happen um, can make you feel, you know, less than and feel like I don't belong. Um, but to see this, of course, we, we have the, um, the version of you that's persevered through that um, that challenge and through opposition, and we have you here today. Um, so we, we certainly want to elevate you that and in, 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 in appreciate you for um, your endurance through that early on. And we, we wouldn't even be sitting here having an interview, you know, had you not endured through that those challenges. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for that. Absolutely. I mean, I wouldn't be the person I am. I wouldn't be the attorney that I am if I hadn't gone through that. So I am very grateful for it. Um, and, and, you know, you have to embrace your journey, the good and the bad and, and the super ugly, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it took some soul searching too to figure out how how to find my voice and how to advocate for myself. Mm-hmm. Yes. And again, it was great input to, to find mentors. I think that's, I, 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 it's, it's become an area of like, I feel like every person I talk to, it's like, I can't even imagine going through life without that support of somebody who's a little bit ahead, you know, putting ego aside, putting my, you know, put, put, putting um, ego aside, not just for me, but for anybody, putting the ego aside and, and proactively find somebody who's ahead and learn and be humble about learning um, from what's helped them with the challenges that you're facing now. Um, but yes, I think it's, it's, it's such great insight. Oh my God, Derek, that you hit it on the nail right there because I think um, oftentimes, um, I'm gonna speak specifically to Latinas and specifically to children of immigrants. It's mm-hmm. like um, you're taught it's like survival mechanisms, right? Your parents come to this country. They're so focused on surviving, on providing, on working. Mm. And so us as children of immigrants, we're kind of left to like figure things out for ourselves, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. I remember like nobody helped me with homework. That wasn't a thing, you know? It was just like, figure it out. Um, Dressing myself in the morning, all of the stuff, all of the stuff, making my own breakfast. Um, And you can get stuck in that mentality of like, I can do it. I will do it. I've always done it. I got this. And yes, you got it. That's super empowering, but you also need to know when to ask for help. Mm, Yes. I love that insight. Um, I I can tell you there's unique doors that will only open to people. And I can speak for myself. There's unique doors that have only opened to me because of the mentors that I, I, I first humbled myself before to learn from them. And then for, and it's something I, I, I appreciate you highlighting that for our community, the, 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 you know, the Latino, Latina community, um, how those mentors without even knowing it, they can organically transform into sponsors where people are bringing your name up in, in certain rooms to open up certain doors for you. But it started because, of a humble approach to learning from somebody who's ahead. And all of a sudden they're bringing my name up in other rooms in other places, but it never would have happened if there wasn't a humility to just be a mentee, to be mentored by somebody who's, you know, either bigger, better, stronger, swifter, and they're in their head. Absolutely. That's great. Now, uh, what is one common challenge you've seen other attorneys face and what do you think might be a great solution to that challenge? Hmm. Okay. So I think we, we need to change, have a shift in mindset with respect to clients and availability and competition because I think that sometimes there is this and I'm speaking more well no it applies to both plaintiff and defense attorneys in in litigation but I think there's um, oftentimes this this over competitiveness Um, and it starts in law school right because um, in law school I don't know if your viewers are familiar with the grading system, but 
it's a curve grading system, right? Mm. So some people have to pass and get an A or a B or a C, and then some people automatically have to fail, right? It's not like wow. everybody, it's not like undergrad where everybody can get an A, no. Um, and it's the same thing with the bar exam. You're only mm. as good as your competition. So some people will pass and some people will fail. That's just, it, that's what it is. Um, and, and that mentality that we get stuck in of like, I have to outbeat my competition sometimes spills over into the practice of law and we mm. don't know how to build authentic relationships with each other mm-hmm. and sometimes i feel like it's the over competitiveness and it's also this lack mindset mm. like like oh there isn't enough work for all of us so i have to be cutthroat competitive yes and it's there's plenty of work out there let me tell you mm-hmm. it's out there so yes. i would love to see more camaraderie amongst us and less competition mm, yes i love the, the the perspective and the insight and i can i can attest being outside um the law profession but it's um in in growing up in i feel like competition kind of raised me again playing a lot you know playing sports and things like that growing up and i and i remember moments growing up in in a sport like if my opponent who happens to be my friend but they're my opponent in this game when they make a mistake that's that's a benefit to me if i'm playing them one-on-one basketball and if they they miss a shot or they make a mistake or they lose the ball every mistake of my opposition is a benefit to me that's fine within the sport but what i noticed to your point of when as i became an adult if i'm celebrating when somebody else loses and i'm not even you know again if there's something off when i'm celebrating somebody else's loss or setback but that came for again for me i can just relate to that from the um a competition perspective where uh, when, when that's wired into us or when you're talking about wired into um, the, the attorneys, um, a great solution is that we become more collaborative as opposed to um, um, competitive because, you know, we, 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 get, we get so focused on winning or are others losing that there's uh, collateral damage. And sometimes, as you mentioned earlier, like there, it's, it's the people that, that struggle behind the profession, behind the lawyer, it's the people that, that struggle and suffer because of that that mindset and mentality. Um, so tell, tell me what, what has helped you establish uh, work-life balance as an attorney? <laughs> well, um, I decided to open my firm as part of the decision to establish a lifestyle that worked for me. Um, I worked for firms, you know, for the first couple of years of my career. And I was blessed to have worked at one particular firm for about three years that was very supportive and had an excellent um, work-life balance. Um, But, you know, it got to the point where I found myself working, working, working because Mm. I had certain goals for myself. And... I wasn't being fulfilled. And so I decided, you know, time to go out on my own. It'll give me all the flexibility that I want. 
Um, and so what do I do to maintain flexibility as a business owner? Because I'm sure, you know, as a business owner, you wear all of the hats, right? <laughs> right and right. you can be pulled in, in 20 different directions um, just in one morning. Sure. And so, <laughs> um, one of the things that I do is I wake up at 5 a.m. every morning. Mm. And Monday through Friday, I have an alarm at 5 a.m. Um, but I find myself still waking up that early, even Saturdays and Sundays. I mean, like the latest I can sleep in is six. Um, I wake up at that time before everyone else in my household is up. And that is my me time between about five and 6.30. Um, I get up, I meditate, I do affirmations, which has been for your listeners, that has been key for me to get past my imposter syndrome. Mm. Mirror affirmations, I cannot attest to it enough. So I do my meditation, my affirmations, um, if I have time, I will read and I will journal. So my mm. non-negotiables are the meditation and the affirmations. Um, and then the rest will be journaling, will be reading. Um, sometimes I do some visualization work for myself, but that's my time to yeah. feel centered, to feel good, to start off my day feeling good. And then yeah. the rest after that just kind of unfolds. Then I get up and I'm like, all right, let's go. Let's do this. Now I can tackle the emails you know, taking the kids to school and everything else that comes after that. Mm, yes. Thank you for that insight and, and your perspective on, I, I love how you, you, you framed that. You framed it as the non-negotiable me time activities um, that you have, the meditations, um, the affirmations. And then you mentioned the bonus, the bonus would be the, the reading and the journaling. Um, but it, it is great um, for us for anybody to, to consider what helps, what helps establish that, that balance um, and the commitment it takes though, to follow through with that, that 5.00 AM, because sometimes, especially people who are not, who are not business owners, they think it's all, it's not all good <laughs> as, as business owners. I, I, I joke sometimes um, I go, yeah, I'm the CEO, but I'm also the janitor, you know, like, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the top, but I'm also the bottom, especially when we're starting out. So, um, a hundred percent. I mean, you're the admin assistant and the CEO, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes, uh, for sure. Now, if, if somebody was listening to, um, this episode and they could do anything to support Sylvia Luna and her law firm, uh, what, what, what could they do to support you? Yeah, well, kind of like you said earlier, drop my name. Um, yes. If you or anyone you know has any legal issue, any, tell them to give me a call. And I'm always happy to assist, whether it's within my practice area or I can refer you to somebody else. Referrals mm. are the biggest compliment. Yes, y'all heard that uh, podcast listeners. If, you, if, if, if we can express our gratitude with, with referrals, we can mention... Um, Sylvia Luna's name um, um, to your friends, to your family, um, especially the ones that are in California. Um, um, so, so she can advocate for them or she can connect them. She, she's connected to a, a, a lot of uh, spectacular attorneys um, there in California. And I know she wants to um, help provide the best, um, the best um, support to people facing different legal issues that she can. 
Absolutely. All right, Sylvia, my, my last question for you is what are your favorite qualities of your favorite people? Honesty. I would say um, ownership and authenticity. So, you know, owning who you are, you know, being proud of, of your story, your journey, being accountable, right? That's part of ownership. Yeah. And then authenticity, you know, being, being you. I don't need you to tell me uh, how many houses you own and where you went on vacation. I want to know about you as a person. Yes. yes. So those are my favorite qualities. That's usually what I gravitate towards. Yes. I love that. And for our podcast listeners, if you think about becoming the kind of person that is favored with people, the favorite quality she mentioned, these are the spectacular qualities, honesty, authenticity, and ownership. Um, you can, if you get, if you grab onto some of those qualities and embrace those in your life, um, you'll have favor here with, uh, with Sylvia Luna and, <laughs> and with others. Well, perfect. Well, um, Sylvia, I want to say thank you one more time for spending some time with me on today's episode. Thank you, Derek. It was my pleasure. I really enjoyed it. And thank you to all of your listeners for tuning in. Yes. This episode is sponsored by Strong Life Scholars, whose mission is advancing Latinas in high-end professions, education, and community impact. We want to say thank you to our precious listeners for tuning in to another episode. Be sure to go over to the Apple Podcasts app and give us a five-star review. Remember to subscribe and we'll connect with you on the next episode. Thank you.